How many times have you talked to someone for hours, days, weeks, months, or maybe even actually known them for years, and one day they tell you that they're a Christian, and you're shocked? Really? You say to them, I never knew. Do you go to church and everything? How many times do you think that people have talked to you for hours, days, weeks, months, maybe even actually known you for years, and one day you mention something about being Christian, and they're shocked? They say, really? I never knew. Do you go to church and everything? Jesus said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Jesus makes it clear here that we shouldn't need to tell people that we're Christian. So how do people know that we're Christians, that we're followers of the way? And perhaps more importantly, do people know when they meet and talk with you that you are a Christian? So that's the question we're going to think about and try to answer today. How do people know that you follow Christ? What does a follower of Christ look like? And to borrow Paul's phrase, what are the marks of a true Christian? I'd like to start in our first passage from Exodus 3, one that I'm sure we all know very well. But why start here? I, I noticed actually that in our reading that we heard from Pat, that the passage was entitled Love. Now, it's interesting, I'll come back to that later, but in the Bible that I looked it up in, it was entitled, The Marks of a True Christian. It's very interesting that you've got those two different titles, and actually both completely true, and both completely relevant, as we'll see later. So in the version that I had, the passage for that second reading was entitled, The Marks of a True Christian. Why don't we just go straight there? Well, there's a very important reason why not. Later on in Exodus, and again in Matthew, we're given the commandments from God. In the first instance through Moses, and then later on through Jesus. On both occasions, what is the most important commandment? Well, in Exodus, the whole first table of the law those commandments 1 to 4 are concerned with our relationship with God. And it's all about making sure that we know and treat him as the one true God, with no others besides him. And in Matthew, Jesus talks about loving God with all of your heart, soul and mind. Before he then goes on to say how we should treat each other. It's clear on both occasions, God comes first. He is more important than anything. So that is why he surely must be the first place to look when we're deciding on what the marks of a true Christian are. So let's get back now to before those commandments, to Moses in exile, out tending his sheep when he sees that burning bush, a bush on fire, yet not consumed, completely unexplainable. And he's drawn off his path to go and look a bit more closely. Before he can get too close, though, God says, do not come near. 
Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Is he entering a temple or a sacred place or building? No. This place wasn't holy ground before. This place isn't a special place in history, but rather it was the presence of God that made it holy. God's holy fire that was consuming this bush and yet not burning it. So Moses' only response is to take off his sandals and approach with fear and reverence. Even the burning bush alone, without those words of God, would demand that response. Fear at a bush on fire. If you can imagine, let's say, a six-foot-tall bush ablaze and you without water to put it out. I don't think any of us would want to get too close for fear of being burned. And then the fact that this bush was not being harmed or changed by the flame at all. Well, that's surely something to revere. I'm actually going to do something which I normally hate people doing in speeches of any kind and use the dictionary definition here, but only because I think it sums up so perfectly this reverence that Moses would have felt. So the dictionary definition for reverence is to regard with respect tinged with awe. So Moses would have been justified in responding with fear and reverence, even for seeing the bush alone. But how much more does knowing that God is doing it add to this fear and reverence that he has? But why fear and revere God? Well, later on in this same dialogue between God and Moses, when God has asked Moses to go back and lead his people out of Egypt, Moses says, hold on a minute. You want me to go back into Egypt and tell all those people that I've heard a message and they're to risk their lives following me, somebody they don't even know, out into the wilderness. How do you expect them to come? And he asks, who shall I say sent me? God's answer, tell them, I am has sent me to you. Wow, he doesn't need a name because he is the I am. This is the first and key part of who you are as a Christian. Reverent and fearful in front of God because he is. God is first. We see that in the commandments. We know that because he is the great I am. So the first mark that you're a true Christian, a fear and reverence towards God, knowing that he is the one true God and he is in control of everything. So what's the next mark, the next sign that you are a true Christian? Well, of course, we need to look to our next reading from Romans 12. But before we get into verses 9 to 21, the parts we heard, let's remind ourselves what we heard in our call to worship right at the start this morning. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I know this is about the will of God, but the more important thing that Paul talks about here is having a renewed and transformed mind. 
And also surely the marks of a true Christian would align with the will of God. Now there are two meanings of the will of God in the Bible. First is the sovereign will of God. The things that he ordains will happen and must happen. Then there's the will of command. In other words, the things that God wants to happen. His commands. It's this latter definition that Paul is talking about here. We don't have a choice about doing the sovereign will of God. That's just going to happen whatever. But the will of command only happens when we follow what God has asked us to do. That is when we can say that we are doing the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul says that through the transformation of this renewed mind, we can do the will of God. And this is the next most important thing that a Christian must have. Paul says earlier in this letter that we must be dead to sin and alive in Christ. We must die our first death to sin, to be alive again in our new life with Christ, with our renewed mind. In this mind, we should be thinking Christ-like thoughts. We should be thinking as Jesus would in all that we do. And through that, we can start to exude those secondary marks of a true Christian without even having to think about what we're doing. So what's, that's what Paul says from our call to worship today. But what about the rest of the reading we hear from Romans? Well, just after this, we see him saying that we also need to have all the things that he mentions between verses 9 to 21, the reading we heard, summed up those things being a love for what is good, a love for our brothers and sisters, passion in serving God, hopefulness and prayer. Showing hospitality, love for enemies, empathy, harmonious living, humility, compassion, and not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. So if we want to show the marks of a true Christian, what do we do first? Do we look at this list and see it as a how-to-be-a-Christian to-do list? This summer I was in London with my fiancé and we were so excited to go and experience worship at Hillsong Church, a huge global church who produce music that I love and have such a big presence worldwide. We were of course thrilled and so looking forward to it. You can feel that there's a but coming, can't you? But when we got in, it seemed that everything was about being lost in your emotions, feeling hyped up and excited and losing that most important of skills, discernment. The thing that capped it off for us was when they prayed towards the end of the service, the pastor was talking, especially to those who hadn't come to God yet. And he was basically saying, all you need to do to become a Christian, to be born again, to have your sins cleansed, is to say this prayer after me. Pray this prayer and you're in. We couldn't get, enough, uh, get out there fast enough at the end, to be honest. They made it so formulaic. In the same way that here we might think that Paul is saying, try to do all these things on this list 
and then you'll become a true Christian. We may think that it's difficult to tell which should come first in this, is it this list of things or a renewed mind. That some people have one first and some people have the other. It's like a chicken and egg debate. But actually, no. It's very clear which comes first. You can't try to do all those things that Paul suggests, expecting that your mind will be renewed through doing them. Your mind must first be renewed before you can do all those things. Before doing them is just second nature, a reflex action to you. One of the main reasons I say this, because such a large proportion of what you say every day is unplanned, unscripted, unthought through. It's impossible to think about every word that comes out of your mouth and to check if it has biblical correctness, to check if it's saying what God wants you to say. In order to be doing these things, showing these so-called marks of a true Christian every day, we must be renewed in mind first. It must be an unquestionable and unchangeable part of who you are. As I said earlier, our mind is only renewed when we turn to Christ and give ourselves over to him. So, of course, that must happen before we start showing the marks of a true Christian. You can't truly, truly show the marks of a true Christian without first being one. So the second mark of a true Christian isn't the huge list we heard in our reading. In fact, I would argue that the marks of a true Christian are not as extensive and detailed and you don't need to think of them as much as what is written in Romans 12, 9 to 21. It's helpful to check whether you're living with a new mind, but we should remember that this section is not headed the marks of a true Christian by Paul. And that's been proved, of course, by the fact that we've got different headings in the two versions we've heard. It would have been added at a later date, somebody just thinking that that fitted what was in that passage. I think that Paul's emphasis was on that earlier statement. So the second mark of a true Christian is simply to have a renewed mind. All the rest will follow. Actually, what have we now seen? That the marks of a true Christian are a fear and reverence of God and the transformation of a renewed mind leading ultimately to loving spirit and a loving spirit rather towards others. So the marks of a true Christian are following the very commandments laid forth by Jesus Christ. In Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. The marks of a true Christian are that you follow his commandments. So why do we show these marks? If we show them, if we can fear and revere God and show ourselves to be renewed in mind, will God then give us all the good things that we want and make us happy? Some of us may get sucked into this thinking that becoming a true Christian 
living by God's word leads you to getting everything you wish for and avoiding sorrow at every turn. But let's hear what Jesus has to say about this. I'm going to read now from Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So what does Jesus say? Those who want to follow him have to take up their cross to do so. Following Jesus is not a good luck charm. Jesus adds that those who want to save their lives here on earth will lose them. And those who are prepared to lose their lives for his sake will gain them. Being a Christian isn't a way to live a smooth life, as I'm sure we know. And Christian people all around the world will testify to that as well. We are incredibly blessed here in this country to be able to practice our faith so freely. In many other parts of the world, Christians are persecuted for what they do. But again, let's look towards what Jesus says to us. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So it's actually a sign that you are doing the true work of Christ. That you are showing the marks of a true Christian when others persecute you in Christ. For that reason, there's every chance that not only will our lives not be free from pain and suffering, as suggested before the last reading, but that because of the marks we show, we will endure even more pain and suffering than non-Christians would. So why on earth would we want to do that? We're going to go right back to that burning bush and Moses again. Because God is the I am. He is king of all. And we know him. We know the ruler and creator of the universe on such an intimate level. Because he sent his son to us. And his spirit dwells within us always. I would be a fool not to give everything over to him. Ultimately, my reward is to come 
It doesn't matter what people do to me or say to me here on earth that might hurt me. Because if I stay faithful to my Lord, I can dwell with him forever. So if you're listening to this and thinking that maybe you're missing one of those two marks, or if you feel you have the marks of a true Christian, but they're faint and they're wishy-washy, then I urge you, never let anyone be shocked to find out that you're a Christian again. Live it every day and in every moment. Show through your words and actions that you fear and revere Almighty God and that you are renewed in mind in Him. Be proud of those marks. Be proud in saying that you love God, your Creator and Redeemer, that you are saved only by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Be proud in saying that His Holy Spirit dwells within you. Be proud in saying that You are born again in your faith in him, which has renewed your mind and given you an overwhelming joy and love that you want to spread with all people at all times. I would hope that no one listening to my voice would want people to be unsure of whether they are a Christian or not, or to be surprised when you reveal that you are. So ask yourself a question as you leave here today. Will other people see those two marks of a true Christian in you? Amen.